Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. So many of us have been going through a time of waiting, a long time of hoping that things would get better, hoping to get out of our current situation, feeling anxiety of when will it ever end? It's sort of like the disciples. They had a long, long Saturday of groaning, of mourning, of pain, of difficulty. And they had a long, long day of waiting for Sunday to come. Worship team, thank you for leading us in praise and worship this morning. What a great job. Thank you. I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm in here with tears rolling down my face, and I've got my hands up, and I just can't stand it. It's so good. Don't you wish every day could be that good? I mean, just good, just that experiencing the power and the presence. I mean, just amazing. I wish I could have that all the time, but, but so much of the time I find myself just kind of groaning about everything that's going on in the world. Am I right? You know what I'm talking about? I was just talking with my friend Annie. Is Annie in here? I was talking to Annie the other day, and uh, she was telling me that she didn't get any sleep at all a couple of nights ago because she had gone to bed watching the news and all of the news about all of the junk that's going on in the state of Georgia with the election laws and everything was just weighing her heart down and she couldn't believe it and she just was in turmoil all night and she was just groaning about how awful it was and how she was losing sleep over it, right? I mean, it feels like we've had an entire year of groaning, doesn't it? I mean, here we are today is our first day. This is our first service to have no social distancing and no requirement on any masks. Praise the Lord. Our earlier service was our social distance service, and this one's free and open. You can lick whoever you want to. I'm okay with it. Um, <laughs> but it feels like we've had a whole year of, of just groaning. And every time I talk to people, just, oh, it's just the pain of the politics you know, the election, or it's the pain of the, you know, agenda of the conservatives or the liberals or, or, oh, I'm just, you know, it's just my back is killing me. You know I mean? There's always something to be groaning about. And it feels like this year more than ever, we've just all had a collective groan and it's been difficult. It's been tough. Of course, of course we've been groaning. Of course we have, because you and I, all of us, and everything in this world was designed on purpose by God to reflect him, to glorify him. We exist for a reason, and it's bigger than us. It's better than us. We exist to point to him, but we ruined all that, right? Right after the beginning we chose to rebel against the king. And instead of glorify him, we chose to glorify ourselves. And our relationships with each other broke. Our relationship with God broke. Everything broke. All The Bible says all of creation fell when we fell. We went down and we took everything with us. 
So of course we groan because now instead of being a beautiful reflection of God, there's, there's disease, there's disaster, there's conflict, there's pain, and there's suffering. So of course we're groaning now. We chose to rebel against the king, and this is the result. Paul, the apostle, has a confession about it in Romans 8. He says this, against its will... All creation was subjected to God's curse. God didn't just send us out of the garden. He ended the garden. So all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, all creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. One day, there will be no reason to groan. One day, we'll be free from all of that. For we know that all creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It's all nothing but groaning right now because, and this is the first blank on your page, everything about this world is broken. Everything about this world is broken. The biblical term for that is spiritual death. We are dead in our own rebellion, dead in our own sin. We have no capacity in ourselves for a relationship with God. We're nothing more than those dusty, dry, dead bones. That's just who we are. And the world is like that. We're under ultimate judgment from God. He will destroy anything that doesn't point to him unless he could somehow redeem it all, unless he could somehow buy it all back. And God had long promised his people that that day would come, that the day would come where he would buy it back, where God himself would send a deliverer, a redeemer, to redeem everything about this world, everything about me and you, to restore it all back to life. And God's people long dreamed about this promise. They ached for this day to come. They dreamed about it coming true. It was their life. Their whole culture was built around that one day that that Redeemer would come. They were looking forward to that day, that day of good news. And that good news seemed to almost happen. Right? I mean, you know the story. Gospel writer John opens his letter with these words. He says that the Word became human. The Word, the expression of God, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory. We don't have glory. It's not here, it's him. He's got the glory. We were living in death, but we saw someone with life. And we saw the glory, glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is it. He has come. The deliverer has come to restore us, to redeem us, to bring life into the midst of our 
death. You can tell it's him. You can tell it's him because look, he's got power like no one else. Whenever he talks about the kingdom of God, he talks with authority like no one else has ever spoken. Whenever he deals with people, he deals with, he has compassion like no one else. And Jesus didn't hang out with the religious elite, did he? Who did Jesus hang out with? The pagans, the tax collectors, the very ones that the religious society had all rejected as losers. And Jesus embraces them all. He has compassion. He shows wonders like nobody else ever showed wonder. He goes around, and wherever he goes, he's healing people right people who have been sick sometimes all their lives people who couldn't walk who couldn't speak who couldn't see he's touching them and now they can walk and speak and see he's bringing life everywhere it goes he even rose one guy from the dead everywhere he goes he shows these wonders and it's not limited to human beings i mean he he gets on that hillside and he feeds thousands of people with almost nothing he gets on the boat, and in the middle of the storm, he says, shut up, and the storm stops. Man, he has wonder and power like no other ever. He's the real deal. So, of course, he built a real following. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus. Everybody wanted to see the power, the wonders. They wanted that acceptance, that love. They wanted to be around that, to touch that. Wouldn't you? Don't you? In a world full of dead, dry bones, don't you want to be near the life that God has to offer? So that's who he is. He's built this huge following. People are going with him anywhere. And the disciples couldn't believe, they couldn't believe that one day, that one day when he rode into Jerusalem at what really felt like this is gonna be the culmination of everything he does, he rides into Jerusalem and the people are so excited that they start singing songs about the Redeemer to him. They're so excited, they're waving palm fronds while they're singing songs. They make a carpet of palm fronds and even their own clothes for that donkey to walk over as Jesus is entering the kingdom because they recognized what was happening. They knew the prophetic words of Zechariah from years and years and years and years earlier who had said that one day the Redeemer will come into the holy city on a donkey. And so they were just all, they couldn't hardly stand it. It was so exciting. Life was about to be restored. All of the groaning was about to come to an end. The Redeemer was gonna set up his kingdom here in this world. It was all gonna be okay. No more groaning. Jesus enters the city at the beginning of the week, but by Friday, the tide had really turned. Public opinion really shifted by the end of the week. And by a Friday, Jesus had been betrayed, taken, tried, beaten, and died. They killed him. 
this redeemer from God, this deliverer who was supposed to set up his kingdom and fulfill the promise of God, who could not be killed. He was killed in a gruesome, bloody, horrible, humiliating death. He was supposed to be the one He was supposed to deliver us, to redeem us. He was supposed to end all of our groaning and bring us to life. And now he's been humiliated, naked, on a cross, bloody, victimized by the Romans. For everybody watching, next blank on your page, the dream was dead. The dream was dead. The hope was dead. And I mean dead as far as they knew, dead for good. Now, you and I, we know the whole story. We know that Jesus on that cross had just bought back the world, right? We know that Jesus on that cross had taken all of God's wrath for me, all of God's wrath for you, all the punishment that you and I deserved was diverted to Jesus, and he took it on the cross that day and he paid the price for my sin and your sin in full on that cross that day can I get an amen from anybody on that he paid it all for us and as the sun was setting on that Friday evening they carried his body his lifeless bloody beaten pierced body limp to the tomb and they put him in there and he was in the ground dead we know the story but as far as they were concerned he was dead we know the whole story we don't just know the Friday story we know the Sunday story don't we we know what happens on Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, that stone was rolled the heck away. And Jesus walked out of that tomb. The tomb was unsealed, but your victory was sealed forever, right? And so Jesus steps out in life, and he brings life to everything he touches. That's what he does today. Because of Jesus' resurrection, your seat and my seat is reserved in heaven with the king forever. That's the Sunday story. Jesus had subbed in for us in death, and now he substitutes our life with his life, and he lives through us. We know all that, but they didn't know. On that Friday night, they did not know. As far as they're concerned, on Friday night at sunset, the story is over. The dream has died. What must it have been like for Mary, the mother of Jesus, and for the disciples to wake up on Saturday morning. Sun comes up only to discover that Friday had not been a bad dream after all. Friday really happened. What must it have been like on that Saturday the longest day maybe of any week ever. I I doubt Mary got a wink of sleep on Friday night. On Saturday, Jesus' body is cold. No heartbeat, no blood flow, no brain activity. He's cold, 
and in the grave. The stone is in place. The guards are on duty. Their hearts are broken. The movement is over. And their dream has died. What good is Jesus anymore? He said he was going to lead them into the kingdom. He said he was about establishing God's kingdom here on earth. But now his heart isn't even beating anymore. It's all over. And now Saturday is here. You ever notice in scripture that Friday and Sunday get a lot of play, but there's almost no mention at all of Saturday. Mark, Luke, John don't even mention Saturday. They skip straight from tomb to resurrection. Matthew's the only one that even mentions it, and he doesn't talk about the disciples. He doesn't talk about Mary and the Galilean women. He doesn't talk about Jesus. He just mentions to us that they decided to increase the guards at the tomb on Saturday. That's all we know. Apparently, Saturday is not a day worth writing about. Saturday is disappointment. Saturday is heartbreak. Saturday is disillusionment. Next blank on your page. Saturday is unfulfilled promise. Saturday is a tough day. You and I have the whole story, right? We know about Sunday. But why does it feel like you and I continue to relive Saturday over and over again like it's Groundhog Day? Why? Why is that? We know about Sunday, but we feel trapped in Saturday. Paul confesses that this is true not just for us, but for him as well. He goes on in Romans 8, and he says, We believers... We all so groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, we have the Holy Spirit, but we're still groaning. The Holy Spirit is a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be, look at this, released from sin and suffering. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Don't you long for that? Don't you long for this? to be over. I remember when shutdown happened a little over a year ago and my wife and I were both working at home because that's what you're supposed to do. They closed the school down and you know we were both just working. We have a little office upstairs and she has a desk and I have a desk and we were just we spent all day every day at home for I don't know months, couple of months. And I remember looking at my lovely wife, the bride that I married 30 some odd years ago, the woman I love with all my heart. And, and uh, I just remember looking at her in the middle of all this saying, I'm just glad we get to spend some time, just the two of us. And she says, it's always just the two of us. <laughs> she needed a little space. And she longed for that to be over. I mean, how many of you are like me over 50? Over 50, you can admit it, it's okay, there's no judgment here. Over 50, don't you long for your body to be released in some ways? I mean, I got stuff that hurts that never hurt before. I got stuff that doesn't work that, like it used to work. I mean, I remember when there was color on top. Remember that? 
And I long for my body to be restored, my life to be restored. And so there's just more groaning. Get up in the morning. I was over at my mom and dad's house. They're in their 80s. And they're like, come on, have a seat. It's time for dinner. I sat down and I made that noise, you know. As I sat down, my dad's like, dude, you're a lot older than I thought you were. (laughs) And he's 83 years old. And he said, I was old. More groaning. We groan all the time. But it's deeper than just your body, isn't it? I mean, Saturday is that time when you know that relief is coming, but you still can't get rid of that chronic pain. All right, Saturday is when you still can't get over that empty seat at the dinner table. Saturdays when there's no job and no prospects. Saturday is hard to live through and easy to be discouraged. And that sure is what Mary, Jesus' mom, was going through. She and the other Galilean women had worked with Joseph of Arimathea and with Nicodemus to prepare Jesus' body for the grave. Okay, so they prepared ointment for Jesus' body. They were going to put ointment on his body. Now, I know you read that and you think, okay, so they got a little tube of, you know, sunblock, and they're just going to, you know, put it on him a little bit. That's not what this is. They actually prepared, get this, 75 pounds of ointment for Jesus' body. This is a big job. Who would ever do this for a body that they expect to be up and walking around the next day or two? Nobody. This is the Jewish custom of burial. It's the closest thing they had to an embalming process. For them, the story is over. Jesus is dead. It's Friday, and so they're getting ready to embalm him. They don't embalm him, but it's the closest thing they got. They put him in the tomb, but now the sun's going down, and Sabbath is here. And they don't have time. You can't be in a tomb with a dead body on the Sabbath. So they got to just hastily kind of cover him, and they're like, okay, we'll, we'll bring this stuff back later. They close up the tomb, and they go away for Sabbath. And they waited. For them, Saturday wasn't just a day of groaning. It was a day of waiting. It was a day of believing that that promise could come, but somehow it must have missed me. God doesn't really love me like I thought he did. And it's waiting and waiting. But very early on Sunday, Luke tells us in Luke 24, early on Sunday, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. You see that word? They had prepared. They're taking 75 pounds of spices, ointment that they had prepared. They were prepared to go to Jesus and finish the job. They're heading there to attend to the corpse. That sounds awful, but you know how it feels. Because for a lot of us, Saturday isn't just a day. 
For a lot of us, Saturday just groans on and on and on. For some of us, it's a day. For some of us, it is. For some of us, for some of us, it's a season. And we go through this ongoing, seemingly never-ending groaning and waiting. And you know what you do. You go on autopilot, right? You just kind of get on autopilot. You groan so long that your heart becomes numb. You don't even feel the pain anymore. You become disillusioned with the purpose you were designed to fulfill. You look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. And you just keep going through the motions of life like you're supposed to. And really, you're just nursing the deadness. For some of us, even doing this, doing this, coming to church leaves us wanting, leaves us longing, leaves us dead inside. Because you come here week after week after week, and you aren't worshiping the king of kings. You aren't engaged with other believers. You don't sense the power of fellowship with the other saints. And you don't sense the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You just show up and mouth the words and bide your time. Jesus isn't doing anything in your life. You're just attending a corpse, and you know it. Just like Mary, she comes back to dress the body, to attend the helpless, lifeless, good-for-nothing, worthless corpse. She's doing what she's supposed to do, just like you and I think that this is what we're supposed to do. We're just trying to make the corpse smell as good as possible. But here's the truth, the next blank on your page. You and I, we don't need perfume. We need a resurrection. We don't need ointment. We need a resurrection. We need life in the place of death. Can I get an amen from somebody in the room? And that's exactly what Mary and the other Galilean women got. They arrived at the tomb to attend to the corpse, only to find that the stone had been rolled away. They walk in, and they find no corpse. The tomb is empty, and they don't know what to do. They're puzzled for a second until two men show up, dazzlingly bright, blinding the women. In my mind, they fall to their knees. They don't know what to expect and what's going on until one of the men, an angel, speaks to the women. And here's what he says, Luke 24. He says, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here, he has risen. Come on. He's not the person you think he is. He's not some dead, lifeless, helpless corpse. Jesus is alive, and he's already up, and he's busy doing stuff. His work in your life isn't over. He's just getting started. This isn't Saturday. It's Sunday. Saturday is over, and Jesus is alive. And everywhere he goes and everything he touches, whatever he's doing, it all springs to life. So your heartbreak, redeemed by Jesus. Your brokenness, redeemed by Jesus. 
right? Right? Your struggles in life, your trials, your tribulations, your greatest sorrow, redeemed by Jesus. This is the good news. The Apostle Paul says it's the most important thing for us to pass on. And that's exactly what the angel tells those women at the tomb to do, right? He says this next. He says, now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Now, go quickly. You, you, you hear that? Go quickly. That doesn't sound like us to me. I mean, it just doesn't sound like Christians to me. Go quickly. Go quickly and tell. Go quickly because Jesus is alive. No, I feel like we get our verb, adverb combination a little mixed up. Right? As Christians, we think that the command is to sit quietly. Hello? Or I, we think our command is to smile fakely or to groan wearily. But the time for groaning is over and the time for rejoicing has come. Not only has your sin been taken away, not only has your punishment been taken away, but Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Not only has he taken your sin and your punishment, but he's even groaning on your behalf. And he's groaning for you, taking it from, there's no reason for you to groan anymore. He's even groaning for you. That's how free you are in Christ. That's how much life you have been given to live in this world. He's taken our death and replaced it with life. So go quickly. Go quickly. Stop sitting quietly. Go quickly. Jesus himself said he has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus says the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That means he turns our mourning into dancing. He exchanges our uh, ashes for beauty. He turns our shame into glory because, last blank, Jesus is alive and he's here to rescue you from Saturday. Saturday. 